So you're going to get two episodes this week. Saturday, I'll be back as usual with another podcast. But today we're going to continue the series of exploring the branches of Mormon fundamentalism as we take a look at the true and living Church of Jesus Christ of the last days, also called the TLC or Harmston Group. Christopher Layton, who is an apostle of the TLC, and I have a conversation about the group's founder, Jim Harmston. Then we move on to the history of the TLC as we look at the group from its inception to the present time. We go over some of the challenges that they have faced and finish up by talking about some of the unique doctrines that are held by the TLC. Now, we may not always agree on the doctrines, but if we truly desire understanding, we need to be able to explore these beliefs and understand what it is our Mormon fundamentalist brothers and sisters believe. That's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Look, it's no secret that our society has become much more crude and coarse. To become and raise men and women of virtue and character is a Herculean task. To help with this, I have recently wrote and published a book. Now, back in the 1700s, Washington had a book called Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior in Company and Conversation. It was a book with 110 rules that talked about how to conduct yourself like a civilized person in society, something that today's society is sorely lacking. What I did is I went back through the book and I reinterpreted his original sayings for the 21st century. So the book is laid out in a way in which you see Washington's original rule. Right below that is my explanation for the 21st century. And below that, you'll find two or three examples of where to use this in the real world. Now, to go along with this, there's a workbook that helps parents teach these principles and practices to their kids. To find the book, go to mormonrenegade.com, go to the bottom of the page, Search out the blog post and order your copy today. I can bear personal testimony from personal experience that this is an invaluable tool to help you raise men and women of virtue and character. So as I alluded to in the show open here, I have a few announcements to make. But first, I've been really prompted all week to address some folks out there in the audience. Um, I don't know who you are. It's just a feeling I've got from the spirit this whole week. First, I felt prompted to, to address you, the listener. If you're here on this podcast listening, it's not an accident. There's a reason for that. Most likely, you're either being prepared or called to something. Now, what that is, I don't know. I'm not your spiritual leader. But I can point you in the direction of someone who can tell you, and that's our Father and our God. He stands ready to hear those prayers and to reveal to you what you need in these last days. Now, I want to speak just for a second to folks who are feeling a little confused about where to go and what to do. I've had an increasing number of emails over the last few weeks from folks asking where they can go to attend church. Look, myself and others are here to help. No matter who you are, if you're a traditional believing Mormon, there is a place for you in the fullness of the gospel, both for you and your family. Heck, if we can't find a place, you can come worship with me and my family. That door is always open. Now, I know things in Mormonism feel a little confusing right now. I get it. I've been there. If you're feeling this way, please, 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 I'm begging you not to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to your testimony of the restored gospel. If you are leaving the LDS church but still have a testimony, or if you feel like your testimony is hanging by a thread, reach out. You can always reach out to me. I will always answer your emails. And if it's an emergency, put 911 in the description. I will reach out to you quick. I and others stand ready and willing to help you any way possible. Maybe you just need to talk through some questions. 
We can do that here. Myself and others in the Mormon fundamentalist community stand ready to help you no matter where you end up or no matter where you feel called. But please don't throw your testimony of the restored gospel away. Okay, announcement number one. Uh, one place I feel like we can do better in, in fundamentalism is helping the sisters, both in fundamentalism as well as sisters investigating Mormon fundamentalism. To help those sisters specifically, my wife Tanya and my wife Amber and women from a few different faith traditions within Mormon fundamentalism have set up a new Facebook group just for these sisters. Its name is Mormon Fundamentalism for Women. I know it's not real catchy and it's a simple name, but hey, we aren't exactly marketing experts, you know what I mean? Now, this is just for the sisters. Let me stress again, this is just for the sisters. That means no dudes. If any of the admins catch a dude trying to infiltrate this group, they will be mocked mercilessly on this podcast for quite a few weeks. So don't go there, fellas. It's not going to work out in your favor. This is a private group where if a woman with questions about fundamentalism can go and ask questions without having to worry about being exposed, they can have their privacy protected. The link to that Facebook group can be found in the episode's show notes or at mormonrenegade.com in the blog menu of the, of the website. Finally, I want to tell you about some changes that I've made to uh, the, the news program I do when you subscribe to the $12 package on Patreon. I've retooled that show so that you're going to get more analysis and less comedy. My hopes is, is that as we begin to enter more and more troubled times, you'll be able to be able to digest the news in a way that is really from the, the point of view of someone who believes in the fullness of, of the restored gospel. So if you so feel like subscribing to that news program, you can do that at Patreon uh, under the Mormon Renegade page, and that's 12 bucks a month. Now, for the next four weeks, I'm going to be putting up the news program for free on Rumble so that you can get a taste, because I don't want you just to buy something you don't feel like you're going to get your money's worth. So go to the Mormon Renegade uh, Rumble page, look it up, and for the next four weeks, that news program will, will be free, so you can try it out and know if it's for you or not. In conclusion, I just want to say how thankful I am to you, the listener, for coming here every week. And I hope that your time here is well spent, that, that, you, don't, that you feel like you're getting something out of this. That is so important to me. Um, if there's anything you ever want discussed on the on the podcast, feel free to drop me a line. We'll definitely take that under consideration. But know that I'm so thankful to you, the listener, uh, that's been here with me on this journey as we've explored Mormon fundamentalism. And we look forward to just keeping this going. So again, thank you for listening. <laughs> How you doing? Doing great. Dude, I'm excited you agreed to come on. I know it, it can always be a little bit disconcerting to come on and talk about what you believe. So thanks for being here. 
that. Now, Chris, you're you're an apostle in the True and Living Church, right? The TLC. What's the full name of that of of the church again? The True and Living Church of Jesus Christ of Saints of the Last Days. Nice. So, real quick, who who was the founder there? How how did you guys come into being that sort of thing? Well, James Harmston is the founder of the church, and it came into being from, you know, well, originally it was established in 1990, and, you know, it was a, how do I explain when he began to investigate, let me back up a little bit. When he began to investigate what was going on in the LDS church, he could see things were starting to uh, go south. And um, he started asking questions in his uh, quorum meetings, you know, particularly about, uh, you know, how come, you know, we're taught the true order of prayer uh, and, we're told not to pray in the true order of prayer or another one. He said uh, that he met with a shirt tail relative. I think he's called him uh, who was a temple president in Ogden. And he asked him, Hey, uh, you know, do women have the priesthood? And he said, well, no, only their husbands have the priesthood. And he says, well, what, uh, what about those women that are, that are getting the ordinances in there, then I suppose that uh, men are uh, doing the ordinances for them and for the women, right? In, in their temple ordinances? No, no, of course not. Now he says, well, then are women uh, doing these ordinances? And he says, yes. Well, then do they have priesthood to do those ordinances? Well, no. Well, what kind of ordinances are they doing? Well, the same ones they do in the men's. And what kind of those? Well, those are priesthood ordinances. So you're saying that uh, the priesthood ordinances that the men are doing on the men's side of the temple are also being done on the women's side. So wouldn't that mean that maybe the women also hold the priesthood? Yeah. So anyways, you know, there were times like that that uh, eventually would get him in trouble with the... Uh, with the uh, state president and things and um real quick can i ask a question real quick sure you said some of the changes what kind of changes was he seeing in 1990 that would have been concerning to him oh hell there was the big one uh, that when they changed the temple ordinances at the beginning of 1990 it was uh, uh april i think it was in 1990 when they see i they had taken out the uh, penalties. Mm. They took out the five points of fellowship. They took out the Adamic language. Um, the, the lecture at the veil, you know, those sorts of things. You know, I mean, the, when you take out the penalties, you know, we're told because I was endowed in nine, I was endowed before I went on my mission in 1988. And we're told, you know, these things you must never divulge nor forget. And those penalties were part of it. You know, I'm not revealing those penalties to you in sure. this setting, but I'm telling you that these things we were told never to forget. Now we're supposed to forget about them mm. because somehow 
they're not important anymore. Right. And those were the changes that were done in 1990 that sealed the deal for the LDS church, you know, and Ezra Benson was, uh, the, uh, uh, well, you know, all the brethren were basically saying, Hey, you know, we're, we're cool with it. We're fine with it. And, uh, you know, as much, uh, as much as he was loved, you know, there were things that were done that were wrong. So anyways, those are the big changes that were done. So, so real quick in, 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 in the TLC, is it kind of a tenant tenant that that's when the church went into apostasy was when the, the ordinances were changed in 1990, because in a lot of no. fundamentalism, there's a, there's a narrative and, that that by the time Heber J. Grant is president of the church, that's when the apostasy really begins to happen. Is yeah. well in 1832, we have Joseph receiving the revelation that the church in DNC 84 is under condemnation for vanity and unbelief. Well, that was that basically started the clock for the church. Now Brigham Young took everybody out west and he tried to take another run at it and um he had a lot of people that were more interested in the things of this world, of customs and fashions of the world, than they were really in being saints. And so, you know, the issue was, is that the temple endowment that Joseph was trying to establish for the saints, those were what we call first anointings. Mm -hmm. Those things, if you are true and faithful in keeping your covenants and your first anointings, then you will be eligible to receive your second anointings, okay. which is your calling and election. Now, Heber J. Grant, he basically killed it. You know, by the time he came along, there were practically none that were being done of the second anointings. And so those people had no way of receiving uh that ordinance by that time and so they you know that heads you up to the big question that i asked when i was in the lds church well when i got my endowment i asked how is it that i become a king and a priest because i'm told that in the endowment that i'm only anointed to become such so apparently there's something better that has to happen i didn't know what that was i had no idea that it was the second anointing or the calling and election ordinance uh, you know, and I had asked it several times. I just figured, well, it must be my celestial marriage to my wife that, you know, the, the, uh, someday God will just round me up and, and, uh, give me those things when I need them. So, <clears throat> you know, basically the, uh, the answer to your question is, is when do they go south is, yeah, it was, it was in pretty rough shape by the time they even got to Heber Grant. But, um, you know, they were wanting to change the temple garments. And, uh, you know, things were going south even before that. I mean, Joseph, when he went, it was going bad even when Joseph was, was there. Uh, when they sent a letter to him, you know, Emma sent a letter to him saying, hey, you better come back, you know, because that, you know, they told him that he's like leaving the the flock to the wolves. And um, and that's when he said, well, if my life is of no value to my friends, then it is of none to me. 
And um, so where did it go bad? You know, pretty much almost right at the beginning. I mean, when you're talking, the Lord has condemned the church in 1832. The church had just barely been uh, established. Right. So, so, so in your view, it, it, it's kind of a... a... A gradual worsening, a gradual worsening. Right, right. Because you see, they had kings and priests. They had members of the what we would call the Church of the Firstborn. Those who are anointed of the Quorum of the Anointed. Brigham was one. Heber Kimball was one. There was a there was a good number of them. I can't recall how many there were. There, uh, you know, I would assume at least hundreds, but I can't remember. But um, you know. But these these people, men and women, who received these ordinances, kings and queens, priests and priestesses, uh, eventually they would just simply live out their lives, but they could not pass on those blessings to their posterity. So you're talking basically a, it's kind of like a war of attrition. Eventually they just died out. Right, right. So real quick, before we jump back into and onto Jim Harmston and 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 the church, I, I want to talk about you for just a second. How when did you st- first realize, hey, something's off here, something's not right? What what was your first inclination? Because look, nobody, I I I've been I was LDS long enough to know nobody really accidentally falls into this, right? No. Normally, there's something that tips the hand, and you're kind of like, well. I guess I better read up on this. And then Uh next thing you know, you're down the Adam God rabbit hole and you're, you have the old. What, 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 what happened with you there? Well, it was the Adam God thing. I mean, because if there's anything that a prophet should know, a prophet should know who God is. Right. And you know, when Brigham Young said, Adam is our father and God, the only God with whom we have to do, then that should be pretty clear. And, you know, I went to my bishop and asked him, I says, well, isn't, aren't we supposed to believe that Adam is God? And he pulled out uh, uh, Mormon doctrine by Bruce R. McConkie. (laughs) And he began to read out of that, you know, and Bruce R. McConkie, you know, he he just, I can't remember exactly what he said. He says, it's only apostates believe in that, you know, and then I'm trying to think who else there was, but. He was kind of the main one that he pulled out. And he says, well, does that answer your questions? Well, at the time, you know, I was still a submissive servant to the state. So <laughs> what am I going to do? And um, so I kept it quiet for a while. But then I started to see some other things. You know, they when I did realize that uh, there wasn't, you know, that this temple ordinance change was not the right thing that should have happened. Because most of everybody, including my own parents, you know, they thought, well, this is a wonderful, glorious change, you know, and uh, God has revealed his will from heaven type of thing. And um, by the time I went to my last session in the Jordan River Temple, that was my last one. Uh, I could feel God's anger in that building to where it felt like it was going to explode. I told my wife, I says, I will not go back into that building again or any other of the LDS temples. Ooh, that's a pretty dynamic turn on just one session. Um, but so what what was your wife's response? Um 
she was quiet. She kept quiet, you know. See, it it took her quite a while. I had to do a lot of investigating, you know, before I really made the decision that, you know, it was time for this change. You know, I had it was probably a year of investigating some of this stuff. And I had a friend who was in this church. And um, so he was giving me some of the pamphlets of the church and I was reading it. I hid it in my Book of Mormon while I was listening in sacrament meeting. And, uh, you know, my wife knew, she'd thump me once in a while, but um, you know, I wasn't gonna be stopped. Once you, once all of a sudden you wake up, you can't, you can't stop from that insatiable urge to to uh, find out you can't help it it's like as if there is a magnet inside of you that's just drawing you you know and so yeah yeah no I, you know and the funny thing is is that like i enjoyed going to the LDS temple i was a weekly temple attending kind of guy right because yeah. i just dug it but there was about at about year five, I can remember thinking something doesn't flow quite right in this. And I couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until years later, I started reading about Adam God. I started reading about uh, uh, the temple changes where I'm like, oh, that's what it is. Because he- here's the thing. I think no matter how hard the LDS church tries, it'll never be able to get rid of those vestiges of Adam God that are there in that temple ceremony. Mm-hmm. And, and the more they try, I think the more um, disjointed or discombobulated the, the endowment will continue to feel. Cause you're not getting the whole story. I mean, it's, it's when you break down the temple ceremony, it's ultimately a, a, a very effective teaching mechanism for Adam God, the the temple and drunk, so to speak, right? In addition to to the cult. right. Well, not only that, but it is a parallel image of the uh, first vision, right? Yep, yep, one hundred percent. And so, yeah, it's it, it's absolutely. So, how did you discover Jim Harmston in the TLC? Was that church already set up when you came out? Yep. Okay. Oh yeah. Right. By the time I got there. You know, we were in what was called the Red Brick Store, which, you know, down on Main Street. I mean, the, the we call it the RBS. The church was so full of people, we were practically hanging out the windows. You know, we were we were sitting on the stairs, you know, because it was a two-level building to try to listen to him when he was teaching. Okay. And um, so. Do you remember that first time you attended a fundamentalist meeting? The first time? Yeah. Yeah. I was so nervous when I attended my first one. I'm not, I I, I went strapped. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, okay, if I got to shoot my way out, so be it. But here we go. It was nothing crazy or anything like that. But by that time, Warren Jeffs had done significant damage. And, you know, you you just make sure what you were getting. Well, I was pretty skeptical when I first went, but because of the doctrines that were being taught, I'm like, I'm going to give him my full attention and see what he has to say, hear him out. That's awesome. And, um, so 
you know, here I am, you know, been a member of the LDS church ever since I was born, you know, or at least ever since I was baptized anyways, you know, family was old Mormons, pioneer stock, third great grandpa had, you know, 10 wives and 50 kids. And, and uh, so we were pretty well familiar with, you know, what fundamentalist type of thinking was. Okay. You know? Okay. But I did not know that Adam, I did not know anything about the Adam God doctrine until I heard it from James. You know, my, it wasn't until after that that I asked my mom about it and she's like, oh yeah, well, they used to teach that. And I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me about it? And, right. Well, they just said it wasn't important. So I didn't say anything. Yeah. That's kind of how things get lost, you know, yep. in the LDS church. It is. It is. They just figure it's not important. You know, what need hath my Lord of this uh, tower saying that this is a time of peace type of thoughts. Right. Exactly. All right. So let's jump back on to Jim Harmston's story here. So he's okay. he's getting in trouble with the stake president for maybe asking certain questions and and teaching certain things. What happens from there? Well, he started having home meetings and uh, people just started to get started to come. They, you know, they hadn't organized a church yet. And, um, he yeah, he moved to Manti. He had been living in Ogden before, but uh, he was a real estate, uh, a realtor. Mm -hmm. And um God just told him to come down here and to, uh, you know, he wanted to find a place where God wanted him to be. And so, you know, he was down here, uh, participated in church. He was a scout leader. You know, a lot of the boys that were here, they, he was, he was their scout leader and he helped them get their Eagle scout and stuff like that. And, um, anyways, uh, forward to that, these people started to meet with him and they began, he had fleshed out what is called the models. And that is his, you know, teachings that he gave, which are, there's like seven of them that uh, he would give that last about two to three hours uh, per each one that would basically go over the plan of salvation and the plan of exaltation. And so, you know, these people, they um, would come and meet and rumor has it that the people were being monitored by the church and uh, then they'd get home and, not, and suddenly their bishop would be on their tail asking them, why are you meeting with this person down there in Manti? Why, you know, mm. what's up with that? And uh, uh but at the time, you know, he was still LDS, but, uh, so Chris, were these just study groups that he was having in his home? Is that kind of what, yeah, what these were? Much. Okay. So it's yeah, not it like, was... he, it's not like they were doing ordinances yet or anything like oh, that. No, no, it was no, just, a just a study group. Just a study group. Uh, okay. he had, you know, and, um, eventually the, he, you know, when it came to the, start asking uh who was it i can't remember who it was buckner um about praying in the Troyer prayer and uh he asked the temple president well don't you think that yada that we should know or you know and what should we do and stuff like this and and he just said um 
well, if I was supposed to know, then somebody would tell me. And, you know, so eventually he said, you know what? I'm going to start praying in the Torah prayer. And so he said, he said to his wife, Elaine, you know, if God's going to toast us for us for this, it's better to try and die than not, you know? And so they put on their priesthood robes and it changed ever since. And that is, you know, they basically told him, well, you can't, uh, they had told him you can't teach in your home and, you know, Ooh. But when they found out he was, you know, as far as the Troyer prayer thing, that was the deal breaker. They, you know, they excommunicated him. And, and uh, so, and I can't particularly remember exactly when they excommunicated him. All I know is that the church eventually was established in 1990. You and know, that's, we, that's so crazy because we have accounts of people performing the true order of prayer in their homes for a lot of years. Right. Uh, it's really not till about the 50s when the church starts really getting animate. Don't do this at home. Well, there's a, a letter that was sent out to all the state presidents in 1978, which was a month before they gave the blacks the priesthood, told them they were no longer to have prayer circles, that it was taking away from their family time. And instead, in lieu of you having these prayer circles, you can just have, you know, uh, you can request members of the, of the of your state presidency or something like that. They can they can go and pray and and have their prayer circles or whatever in the temples, but no longer can you have it in your state area. So basically, they cut the phone line to these people back in '78, a month before they were going to have that vote on uh, on uh, the blacks and the priesthood. You know, which is. Typical tactic when, you know, if you're going to rob somebody's house, you cut the phone line first so they can't call out and then go ahead and do what you're going to do. And that's what happened. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. So, yeah. It, 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 when I read that, it was shocking to me that they that they went that direction to take that away. So, mm -hmm. OK, so let's let's go to that time where 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 Jim's been excommunicated. Does he immediately start a new church after that, or is he just kind of left hanging for a while? Um, I don't think he started. I, I can't. I can't exactly remember the timeline of how long it took him from the time. I know there was a period of time. It wasn't okay. an immediate. Let's start the church up as soon as that happened. They just continued their their meetings, and eventually the church was formed. And. A couple more quick questions here before we move on. It sounds like he was really kind of uh, getting a little bit of a, um, I don't want to, well, maybe I is the right word. He had a certain amount of people who enjoyed coming over to his home for those meetings. Oh, yeah. Um, wh what happens to a lot of those folks? Once he's X, do they stop coming or do they continue to come? Well, a number of them do continue to come. But... There was a, you know, there was a time where that group of people met together, but <clears throat> some people were doing things that were immoral, that um, that's kind of, that's basically when James said, this is wrong and it's an abomination. You can't do this. And it had to do with people 
and plural marriage, three and a bad type of thing. Gotcha. He said, we're not going to do that. And so it separated the church. The church separated and some, a bunch of people went their way and the rest of us were left, were left here. Okay. And so that's when, you know, that's essentially pretty quickly right after that, then the church was formed. Okay. All right. So going, I'm just trying to wrap my head around things here. So was plural marriage already being practiced within this study group? Yeah. Okay. All right. Was, was Jim a practicing polygamist at that point, sir? I don't, I don't know. I don't okay. know if he was at that point. I don't, I don't know that exact time. No, you're good. So you're good. No, no sweat. No sweat. <clears throat> I, want, I want to talk a little bit more about the models. It's, it's a unique, a unique sounding kind of thing. <clears throat> he said their teachings. Why did he call them the models? <laughs> well, it was kind of like a model would build one concept upon another. And so he would draw pictures as he was doing a model and it would build from one concept to another. And so there was a lot of visual imagery that people were able to jump from one concept to the next to the next. So it was like a, it was literally like a model that he was building and it was something that he and some others had uh, come up with, you know, previously, and it's something they'd worked on. Okay, cool. No, that makes that makes sense. And and I I do want to revisit those here in a minute because I'm guessing there's probably some some doctrine there that's unique to the TLC. Is that correct? I think yeah, it's like it's unique to the TLC and maybe another group. But then some other things are unique to the TLC and this group. You know? Okay, we'll, we'll we'll get there here after a little while. I want to continue with the story. So at the time that Jim forms uh, the, the TLC, and is that an okay acronym to use? Sure. Okay. At the time he starts the TLC, how many members start the group with him? Or is it just him and his family? Oh, boy. No, it wasn't just him and his family. There must have been, oh, 250. There was, yeah, I don't know. It was, too. there were just people just coming and going all the time. I would say there was all, it's probably typically a running total of at least a couple hundred people. Okay. All right. And, and the, the, uh, excuse me, the, the typical Sunday meetings were held out of the red brick store there, right? They were. Okay. Until the assembly hall was built, anyways. Okay. And and the assembly hall was there in Manti as well? Yes, right, right on that same block. Okay. And it, it at this time, do they do they immediately begin like building a temple, getting ready for ordinances that way? I mean, in, in his vision, because fundamentalism, when when you talk about fundamentalist groups, there's some who have a very hands-off kind of feeling when it comes to temple work right like no that's something we're supposed to do in the millennium other groups don't have that compunction they'll they'll go forward and they'll be like let's build a temple um what it was, was pretty quick it was pretty quick okay cool um the endowment house yeah so and and if this is too personal you can tell me to shut the pie hole won't offend me a bit 
it's my understanding that you need your second anointings in order to dedicate a temple or or start temple work right and kind of be be in that position when does jim when does jim receive his second anointings well that was with his you know that was basically when he had his meeting with the four angels and that what year was that november the 25th um I don't know. Let's see if I've got that on the notes. I can't remember exactly what year it was. If you it don't, it's okay, before. Chris. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I'm not the best with dates, but no, you're it was good. a number of years before. So did he have those visitations before or after he left the LDS church? November 25th. Oh, November the 25th, 1990. So, Yeah. November the 25th, 1990 is when he had the visit with the four angels. Okay, and, and he's excommunicated and it was, in 1990 as well? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. And then it was, it was 94 is when the church was organized. So, yeah. Okay. So so if if you don't mind, because I'm always fascinated by by people receiving those kind of visions, um. If, if it's not too sacred and it's something that, that you can share. W- what was said in, in the meeting with these four angels? Is it like four distinct meetings or do they all come at once? It was at once. Okay. Do we it know the names? Uh, yeah. Enoch, Nelber, uh, <clears throat> Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Moses. Okay. And what was the thrust of the meeting? I mean, what, what happened there? Well, he didn't. He didn't. He he just said that they laid their hands on his head and gave him the anointing, which was his second anointing. It's called okay. an election at that time. So, and as far as what they said, the baby was breathing. That was a previous dream. Sorry, I'm communicating with. My no, wife. you're good. You're She's good. She's trying to remind me of things, but um, they. Uh, I don't. He didn't really say exactly what they said, other than the fact that they laid their hands on his head and called him to his apostolic calling. Okay. Okay. And so from there, that's that's where he probably gets to feeling like, okay, now I'm empowered, so to speak. This has heavenly approval. Now we can go to work. Right. Okay, cool. Um, okay, let's let's follow that through then. So he's received that that authority. He he then sets up. Uh, the church and roughly how many members were there when he first started do you have a count or i don't have an exact count it was it was roughly 250 300 something like that it was that's not a bad group to start with i mean it was a yeah it was yeah all i remember is is going there for the first time and the thing was just packed holy cow So. so you get the assembly hall and is is the temple in the assembly hall as well? Or is that's it- well that we call that yeah, that's our endowment house. Okay. Right. Very cool. Now were vicarious work for the dead performed there as well? Yeah. Cool. Okay. No, that All makes the ordinances. that makes a lot of sense. So is is there a missionary program where missionaries sent out at that point or anything? 
Yeah, they were. The apostles went out throughout the nation and to England and other places to um, preach the gospel. Holy cow. And and what um, were these like two-year missions or five-year missions or what, what were they? Uh, they weren't that long. They were just a matter of, I believe, a month, a few okay. weeks or something like that. They went out there specifically to anoint particular areas, you know, that uh, would be places for people to gather eventually the place of the gathering was always going to be here in manti okay all right i've been done plenty of work up there it's a really cool area i could see why yeah. someone would choose that area for sure um mm -hmm. or, or have the direction place there so do you guys experience a lot of growth right away back then yeah oh yeah yeah at that point but there was also people with their different perceptions that uh, began to also fall away as well. You know, people came expecting to see Jesus and they fell away because, you know, their paradigms weren't met. And, okay. um, gotcha. Yeah, no, it, it happens all the time in the main sure. church as well as fundamentalist sex. There's yeah. always kind people of come with their own ideas and their own agendas. And they think that, you know, that things are going to happen the way they think. And sometimes they just don't, you know, I mean, you look at the, the Millerites, you know, the great uh, disappointment, mm -hmm. they believed that uh, Jesus was going to come in 1844, sort of ironic that Joseph Smith happened to be in the neighborhood at the time. Uh, so People made fun of them for, you know, I hear preachers even to this day making fun of them for, oh, they sold all their stuff, you know, and believe that Jesus was coming and stuff like that. And There's never a wrong time to dedicate yourself to the Lord and to consecrate yourself and to rid yourself of the things of this world. There's, absolutely. there's never a wrong time to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... As time goes along, do does it start to kind of have that pattern of like elders quorum and and high priest group and and all that other stuff? Does it does it look kind of like the LDS Church only maybe a hundred years previous, so to speak, at that point? Yeah, kind of like we had our elders quorum meetings and women's and uh, women's society, and you know I went to the quorum of the twelve meetings, and so. Uh, yeah, yeah, in some respects, but then in other respects, there were uh, things that were radically different, you know, because there were two divisions of the church, the uh, uh, temporal church and the eternal church. The temporal church is the true and living church. The, the, it's like the LDS church. That's a temporal church. The only purpose of a temporal church is to prepare people to enter into the eternal church, which is governed by the church of the firstborn. Right. So anyways, that was, that was radically different than, you know, obviously the LDS church. And then of course, you know, when we had our meetings, we met in the robes in the Trotter prayer and, you know, on a given occasion, we would have a solemn assembly and things like that, where we would present to the Lord the work that we had done, you know, right. type of thing. Right. I get you. So 
as time goes along, what kind of things do you see that really kind of, because in, in, in all of our faith journeys, I think there are times that, that things are really good. You're on some of those spiritual highs, right? And then uh-huh. the mundane sets in, right? I, I don't uh-huh. care who you are. There, I think we all go through that path, that that time where it's like, crap, it's time to go to church, right? So you get up, not because you're necessarily enthused to do it, but because you feel like you're committed now, right? What what was it that that kept you committed all the all these years to to the church? I mean, he must have had some sort of teachings or something that really resonated with you. Yeah, I don't. We I did, There wasn't a time that that I ever had where I didn't feel motivated and wanting to go to learn more because we were always, you know told to go and get revelation about some of the things that would be presented next week in the church. And so uh, we were always fed. There was never a time that we, you know, at least in my own experience that I did not feel the driving motivation of the spirit, you know, to do the things that um, we were asked to do. Very cool. What were some of the early challenges you feel like the, the, or maybe even challenges all the way through that that maybe the TLC faced with being a, a fundamentalist church out in the open? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, we, were, we met up with prejudice from the LDS people that lived in the area. But that wasn't, you know, that didn't bother me too much. Mostly it was the... Uh, Sometimes the things that went on between people within the church where, you know, somebody wasn't considered or something like that. And Gotcha. Gotcha. How was he able to manage that much growth that quickly? Right. It's, it's one of those things where, where growth can be both a, a blessing and a curse, right? Because right. it's a blessing when there's more people there willing to do the work, but now you have more personalities to contend with. How how was he able to manage a lot of that? I don't know, because I couldn't have, <laughs> to be quite honest. Uh, he kept us engaged. I mean... We always had we always had a mission and a fixed goal each week, and you know to accomplish. Uh, as far as hey, let's go study this. Let's you know let's look in Gileadi's, uh work of Isaiah, and let's let's look into this. And let's go get some revelation, and let's talk about it next week. And um, uh, to listen to him preach was like nothing else. You cannot. I cannot describe what it was like to listen to him open the scriptures and begin to expound things like Isaiah, you know, and our Book of Mormon studies and things like that. Really? So what was it just just the insights that he carried with yeah, his, because that kind he of he said, you know, when he was reading the Book of Mormon, it was like as if he had already lived it. He could see it clearly in his mind. Okay. And so, and Isaiah was his particular favorite thing to go through. It was, 
you know, it was a little bit of a challenge for the members, you know, to wrap our heads around. It was, it was a lot easier for him, but, um, you know, we caught on. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so along with that, what was his leadership style like? Right. Um, because it can vary wildly from group to group, right? Sometimes there's, you know, especially when there's one guy in charge, right? Sometimes yeah. that guy is Warren Jeffs, right? That is just, right. just a horror show. Other right. times they are guys who just love their people and are trying the darndest they can for their people. Uh-huh. So, so what was his leadership style like? in terms of his thrust was was it highly controlled do you feel or do you feel like it was more like you know um we're gonna do the best we can in teaching good principles and then hopefully everything works out from there he would teach us the principles and let us govern ourselves and um you know it's not like you couldn't see things that were going on that people were doing that weren't quite right but a lot of times he would give them quite a lot of latitude uh, that would give them time to figure out, you know, what they should be doing and what they should not be doing. And um, I think he was very merciful and uh, things that... um, This episode of the podcast is brought to you by DeseretFlag.com. I've said this before and I really mean it. Mormonism isn't just a religion, it's a culture. As such, it has its own vernacular and practices, but also its own symbols. And those symbols become even more important and prominent when you look back into our history. Perhaps one of the most recognizable symbols of Mormonism is the Deseret flag. This is the flag that I use as cover art in this podcast. This was also used for a good chunk of time during the pioneer era in Utah. Now, today we have people who want to replace the existing Utah flag with some other progressive monstrosity. Well, I think it's damn past time that we start pushing back here a little bit in Utah. Our friends at Defending Utah are here to help you with that. Now, if you go to DeseretFlag.com, you can now purchase your own Deseret State flag. It's time here that we start making ourselves known and join the resistance against those who seek to rewrite our state's history. Go to DeseretFlag.com or check out the link in this episode's page show notes and get yours today. Can't get enough of the Mormon Renegade podcast? Well, good news. We're on Patreon and there's three packages that you can choose from. The first one, the Slightly Rowdy Package, allows you to hear the podcast without all those pesky commercials getting in the way. For those who want a slightly more in-depth experience, there's the Stirring It Up Package, where you can hear ad-free audio, ad-free video, and transcripts. Finally, for those who want to go full Renegade, that package is available too, where you can get everything in the previous two packages, plus an extra show where myself and Ben Winfield break down the news of the day from a very Mormon point of view. You will also get exclusive access to Renegade Chat, and on there you'll be able to talk to others about the show or whatever topics are on your mind. Go to Patreon today and get your exclusive content. A lesser person probably would have come down pretty hard on. He gave him a little bit more time. But when it did come time to bring down the hammer, it did come down. Okay. All right. Um, with one, and, and again, if this is something that, that you don't feel like you want to share, I totally get it. But at least for me, 
some of the hallmarks of um, leader-centered control that always concerned me was how was marriages um, regulated, I guess, right? Was there any of the stuff you ever saw where like families were rearranged or, you know, families broken apart or anything like that by leadership and be reassigned? Not by the leadership, to by their own revelation. I've seen them do that before we came uh, a little bit more. But by the time we got here in 97, things seemed to have normalized. And um, so, it, yeah, it was, it was basically by revelation from the people themselves. James never told anybody you know that okay you got to marry this person or you got to marry that person he didn't he didn't get involved with that everybody would just sim- simply be responsible to receive the revelation on their own you know and then of course they would present it to him and say hey you know this is the revelation i've got and he'd go and pray about it okay sounds good do it and okay. sometimes people would do things that um <sighs> I think weren't necessarily the best, the best things or the wisest things, but he would let them go ahead and do it, you know, to let them gain a little bit of experience, I guess. So. Gotcha. So he always respected their agents. He did. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. That was, that, that to me is always kind of a red flag when that sort of, family planning starts cropping up. I get, I always get a little yeah. bit nervous. Yeah. I was, you know, before I came into the gathering, I was afraid of that sort of thing potentially happening because I had heard about it happening in other groups, but I'm telling you that that didn't happen here. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, When, when you would send missionaries out and they would start the that effort of gathering people in were they for were they regimented um like i remember in 95 when i joined the lds church it was like pamphlets right it was very regimented is that how that went or did did you guys find that there were people who just came to you with questions and then your answers resonated with them and then they would bring them in well when the when the apostles would go out you know they would just preach to whoever that they come in contact with and uh they didn't really i don't you know they had pamphlets at the time whether or not they really used it and those those apostles knew their scriptures really well and so i don't think they had to rely on a prop gotcha Uh, they were just simply able to go and testify and uh let the chips fall where they may now as far as you know later on when the when the apostles were brought back uh then we use the website to reach people the tlc website kind of like what we have uh here which the is now tlcfaith.org and um a lot of the things that were that were on that uh, iteration of the website are on this one as well so we use that as a as a uh, missionary tool to bring people in and a lot of it was by word of mouth people would say hey you know i've i know this person people all the way up in canada hey i know i knew that guy would came down here and joined the the tlc uh tell me a little bit more about what they believe you know so 
Gotcha. It, it was a lot of word of mouth. Gotcha. And so, so now let's move, move kind of farther down the storyline here a little bit. So let's see formed in 94. So that was 30 years ago, will be 30 years ago this year. Um, how long, how long before Jim eventually passes away? And is there anything in that time frame from 94 until he passes away that's notable within, within the history of the church that you want to go over? Um, Yeah, we were doing a lot of temple work because we were preparing for the coming of the Lord. And so that was the big push is to do temple work and to get as many of our relatives sealed to us uh, as we could, you know. So, as you know, he passed away in 2013. So, right. 94 to 2013 is when you know, he was part of the church and so good, good deal. So, so nothing uh, other than, and, and and I won't say anything else of note because temple works pretty important, but nothing, no shakeups, anything like that of note that would, Oh, there was people that left, you know, here and there. Yeah, sure. Um, and had their gripes that their expectations weren't met. Yeah. There were, there were times the church was shook uh lots of times okay all right um what what does jim pass away from is it just old age or heart attack heart attack okay so at the time of his passing what happens to leadership at that point who who does the quorum of the 12 step up and begin administering the affairs of the church from a quorum setting uh, we didn't really change anything at that point. The Quorum of the Twelve continued to function as they were before. You know, mm -hmm. our our function as the Quorum of the Twelve was exterior to the exterior to the church as mission. You know, as right, just like apostles come and say, yeah. yeah, as apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, and um, you know. Uh, of course, we still had a bishop who governed the temporal church, but the king and priest, which was James, of the eternal church, which is the church of the firstborn, did not have a successor. So does that, so this, did that part of the church continue to function then? Yeah, it's it continued to function with the Quorum of the Twelve. And... Um, but as far as there being a presiding king and priest over the eternal church, it still remained as James. That it it wasn't passed down to anyone. Okay. All right. So the Quorum of the Twelve just stepped in to kind of I won't say fill that role, but but kind of make sure that work continues on in the in the eternal church as you as you put it. Yeah. Mostly in the form of the work for the dead. Okay. At that point. Okay. You know, we weren't by that time we weren't doing external missionary work. Okay. We had kind of come we had come back in because the Lord revealed to us that the day of the Gentile or the gathering in of the Gentile had finished. Okay. So, so can 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 people still join the church then or they, is that Yeah, they still can. Okay. So, but as far as 
those who would be sealed by the law of adoption to James, obviously that's not an option anymore. Right. Because he's not here. Right. But you can be sealed by the law of adoption to a king and a priest, which would be a member of the Quorum of the Twelve or anybody else of the Church of the Firstborn. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So after James passes away in, excuse me, Jim passes away in, in 2013, and in, in, in again, I want to be gentle here. There's a schism that happens, right? Somewhere in between 2013 and today. Does that essentially lob the TLC in half? What what happens there? No, it was a um, basically, and I guess I want to be gentle too because I still want to give you know some room for those and what we call the main body of the church. See, there was it, the division was basically five versus fifty. So okay. it was one one tenth of the church, you know, that um, was opposed by a, the larger group uh, for a few reasons that centered around uh, the Troyer prayer or lack of it, uh, lack of uh, other things, and the temple garment. The one thing that will distinguish the smaller group for, from the larger group is the larger group no longer wears a priesthood garment. So that created a pretty immediate division uh, within the church is when they didn't approve of those of us who decided to wear our garments, our priesthood garments. And so... And all of us, you know, like when Joseph had, before he went to the martyrdom, to be fair, he had removed his garments as well as Hiram. Mm -hmm. And uh, John Taylor, I think Willard Richards didn't want to, didn't have to. Uh, Joseph said, you know, if we have these on, they can't kill us. And um, so we all had the, under we had received the revelation to temporarily remove our garments now in some people's minds it was permanent but in our minds it was not uh and so when god revealed to us to put ours back on well that pretty much became a, a straw that broke the camel's back gotcha gotcha and so did and, and i'm just trying to understand here chris um was that the majority of the group that decided to leave their garments off or was that the minority they made the majority do not wear garments. Okay. All right. All right. Um, and, and you said there was a revelation to take them off for a time. Was that a family revelation or did that come down from, from leadership? Well, it was a revelation submitted by a member of the, the um, eternal church. And then it was, Submitted to James, of course, for his approval, and then he submitted it to the church, and he said, go home, pray on it, and come back, and let me know, you know, because they had this, these, this family had received revelation that God said, it's time for us to remove our garments, and um, so we all went home and prayed about it, and we got the revelation, okay, it's time to take our, our garments off, 
And um, as it happened, James died within about a month after that. Mm. And um, so I'm pretty convinced that uh, the removal of the garment uh, leads to death. Um, sure, know, sure. I, I couldn't, you can't escape that fact, you know. I mean, you're told in the endowment you wear this throughout your life, you know, until you finished your work here on Earth. And um, there was a doctrinal reason to do it, to remove it. But there's also a doctrinal reason to put it back on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have, I, I, I wear the, the long garment. And, and we do too. And, and yeah, I can't imagine not having it now. <laughs> kind of right. to it. Um, if it's not too bold, um, what was the reasoning behind the idea to take them off? I understand it was kind of a revelation, but where'd that come from? I think that uh, Joseph obviously had his, his reasons for taking his off, but, but yeah. what, what happened there in the TLC with that? It was because we were preparing for a transition to the terrestrial order. Mm, okay. All right. I got you. Okay. So, um, that split occurs um and it sounds it sounds like uh you put your garments back on is that correct or okay yeah july the july the 4th 2016 i put mine back on and my wife and um and then in august the uh what did i did i say july the 4th july the 4th put them on August the 16th, which was also coincidentally the 9th of Av, which is when the church, when the Jews were mm -hmm. kicked out of the temple, we were kicked out. There were five of us that said, you know, well, this is what God revealed to us. This is what he said. You know, our church has always been governed, the, the, the eternal church is governed, as our prophet told us, by revelation. And it was by revelation that we received the revelation to do that, to put these garments on. Okay. And is it just the five of you now? Well, one has died and a couple of them went back to their families. So really it's now down to just myself and my wife and one other uh, who's here. Gotcha. Gotcha. And my son, but he's not, you know, it's not in doubt. Right. He's too young. So are you are you guys still in fellowship with with the TLC then or? Uh, we try to be, but they were not allowed to go into their building. Gotcha. Gotcha. So so now now you just worship at home, sort of a thing, then, huh? Right. Gotcha. Right. Tim four. Tim four. I'm I'm with you. I'm following you now. I apologize if this is bringing up any bad stuff. I didn't mean it to do that. That's okay. We, you know, it, it's not like, you know, when Jesus said, you know, before his, he was, he was crucified, he told the disciples, Hey, you know, they're going to mishand, they're going to mistreat you and they're going to, um, uh, you know, they're going to do things to you. So don't be surprised when they do it. They're going to think they're doing God a service. So sure. I'm not surprised. Sure. I got you. I got you. So right now, as so, and and I'm trying to sort this all out, and I apologize. So, did you retain the 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 name of the church TLC, or did that go with the group now that 
Well, we were, we just kept the name as we've, all, we've always been, the, the TLC, the True and Living Church of Jesus Christ and Saints of Last Days. Um, one of the uh, apostles, I guess, had had that had contacted me, had a little dispute with me, and uh, said that, uh, well, our church name was changed, you know, because the church incorporated a number of years ago, and so they changed it to the True and Living Church and lopped off the of Jesus Christ, the True and Living Church of Jesus Christ, and they lopped off of Saints of the Last Days. And um, it was just simply that was part of the incorporation of the church. Of course, you know, James had told us before that this church would never be incorporated. That this is an example of one of those decisions that the people wanted, but he said, okay, go ahead and do it. Let's see what happens. Yeah. So he, he did very much what, what Joseph and, and Brigham did in a lot of ways. Like if you want this, you can have it, but it won't right. be where you want to go. Right. And the, it, the that sort of thing happened quite a bit, you know, because we had, you know, received the revelation that we would leave our employment and, and start, you know, working in the kingdom and stuff like that. And so all of us left our employment, including us. And, um, and then people received revelation that they should go back to work. And, and so James said, okay, go ahead and go back to work. If that's what the revelation was, go ahead and do it. But let's see how you do. Will you continue in praying in the Torah prayer? Will you continue in receiving revelation? Will you continue doing the other things that you were taught to do, even though you're in the world doing those sorts of things? I'm not going to condemn you for it, but let's just see if you can maintain your spirituality while you're doing that at the same time. Kind of one of those things where you can't have one foot in Zion and another in Babylon. Yeah. Yeah. Point, or serve two masters, if you will. Yeah. So he wouldn't condemn anybody for doing it. He just said, let's just see how you do. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so now we have these these two groups. Um you, there's there's the true and living church. The one you're a part of. I, I'm blanking on the name. Help me, Chris. <laughs> The True and Living Church of Jesus Christ of Saints of the Last Days. Okay. Which and is then, the name, you know, when we would do work for the dead, the ordinances for the dead, they were uh, made members of the True and Living Church of Jesus Christ of Saints of the Last Days, which is why I'm like, I'm not going to change it because all of my family relatives are are sealed in that church by that church's, in the name of that church. I'm not going to change it to the incorporated church's name. I'm not going to yeah. do that. And and then we'll just say the incorporated church passing no judgments. It's just a way for me to keep it. Keep right. It. Right. So, so with the incorporated church, are they, are they still performing temple work over there? No. Okay. And the only reason why I know that is because we had wires uh, over the um, inside of the building. And you could see from outside that they had taken all those down, all the veils that were in the assembly hall they're gone okay so you can you can public meetings. and they well yeah they began to have public meetings and things like that and oh wow that that was kind of the little bit of the rift too because 
we had an objection because we in our temple we didn't allow people to come into our church meetings that were not uh, baptized members and they wanted to bring investigators into our assembly hall which was our temple and we said no and so that created quite a rift uh because you know it's understandable people want to bring more people into the church but you got to do it the right way we had a a, a red brick store still to have meetings with them there so there was a provision for it right it's not like you were turning people away it was just we like weren't, no we weren't turning people away space. we just said yeah this is just yeah, we said this space. is our this is our holy place you can't you can bring them over there but you can't bring them here right Right. Yeah. So you weren't turning anyone away. You were just saying this is sacred space that's reserved for. Exactly. And I, and I, told them, I said, you know, the LDS church, the LDS church, you know, they have the same standards too. You can't just walk in and say, Hey, I want to hear the six discussions in this celestial room. You know, right. Right. It's not going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So is, is plural marriage was obviously practiced within the tlc back when it was one yeah. one unit right is it still practiced uh in the incorporated church it is okay all right perfect and i assume you have no issues with plural marriage yourself no okay no. all right no we would we, we have no problem I, we fully embrace it even though we're not currently sure. living it sure and then as far as um like unique tenets of of the faith both you know m probably more or less when you were together as as one unit what were some of the things that were unique to the tlc that that maybe a a run-of-the-mill latter-day saint other than like adam god and curse of cain were there any other distinct doctrines that you can think of that would would strike someone as different or or unfamiliar with yeah multiple mortal probations okay or in other words reincarnation okay yeah that was one of those ones that uh the lds people would object to that we you know that we firmly believe in that we've lived many lives and uh one of the reasons why jesus says whom do you say that i am uh was because he believed you know he the the jews back then they understood it you know otherwise why would they why would herod say he's john the baptist whom i have beheaded they all knew that he was the son of mary they all knew you know in fact all the jews at the time they said well isn't joseph his father and here herod is saying isn't this the one that i beheaded he's back from the dead you know, okay they understood multiple mortal probations this isn't anything new so do you mind getting into that doctrine just a little bit while I got you? Cause I've never talked about it on the podcast before. Okay. Hey, sure. Okay. So cause here, here's one of the things I wonder about on this. If, if, if that is true, if multiple moral probations reincarnation is, is true, then how do we explain sealing covenants being sealed to somebody forever? Now, are, mm -hmm. are you saying that, that you always come back and find that same person again? Or, yeah. okay, 
All right. Yeah, so, you kind of uh, tend to move along in your family line. It's kind of like school of fish. Okay. All right. So it's not like there will be a bunch of sorting out that has to be done uh, with that. And in, in the end, you're you're always essentially sealed to the same person. Well, to the same person or person. Well, when you're talking about plural marriage, I mean, you're talking to persons. Right. Persons. But I, I guess what I'm asking is, is that when you come back, you, you always find your spouse again. Right. Or spouses, if you're a man. Um, you'll find them. Uh, whether or not you'll marry them at the time, you may or may not. Or they might be your relative or your sister or something like that. Or it just depends. Okay. You know, All right. One way or another, one way or another, you're going to be in the vicinity of that person. Okay. You'll go through, you'll go through, you know, that generation together. You know, that's why the prophets talk about this is the wicked generation. He's talking about a group of people that move along the timeline together as a family. Okay. All right. So it's not always guaranteed that you'll be husband and wife in whatever life you're in. Maybe not. Okay. All right. And then is is this just part of how you see eternal progression working is is part of this these multiple probations where it is you essentially come back until you get it right is that kind of the idea it is it's exactly what it is heber kimball spent a lot of time talking about the parable of the potter where a, a vessel would be made over so many iterations into a vessel of honor you know, at one point it would become kind of snappish, I think is the way the scriptures describe it. And so the potter takes it and throws it into the mill to be ground up and to come back and to be a little bit more passive in the hands of the potter. Um, okay. So, yeah, as far as the number of iterations a person has to go through, it depends on how long it takes a person to overcome the things of this world. You know, the more you gain attachments, to the thing of this work, to the things of this world, the more you're going to be reprobated. You know, these earthly attachments is what holds you here. Right. Eventually, when you can cut all those ties and triumph over all things, like the Lord Jesus Christ had, did, by the time that He said, "I have fear not, I have overcome the world," then you can move on and gain your kingdom you know as an atom on another world okay so let me ask you this about this doctrine do you ever know do you ever catch glimpses of who you were before in a different program sure. yeah when i was a kid i knew that i had fought in world war ii i had i don't know how many dreams of fighting in world war ii um every time it ended with me dying but i it was very vivid i remember fighting against the germans and lying in a conduit and eventually all i saw was a flash of light and that was it okay all right and then now i'm going to ask another question and and again if it's too sacred or whatever i totally understand but did did jim ever ever talk about maybe some of his um previous probations did he ever make sure. reference of you know 
Joseph Smith or something like that. Yeah, he had talked about it. That that he in, in in one of his previous probations he was Joseph Smith. He had talked about things like okay. that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now the reason why we don't preach it to people is because of what I would call the sin of familiarity, which is, well, isn't that the son of Joseph? We know him. How could he say that he has come from heaven? Type of idea. Gotcha. You know? When you're that close to somebody, it's hard to believe, you know, that um, somebody of that stature would come back into probation and be somebody so close that you could just, you know, reach out and touch them. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. 10-4. No, that makes, I, I see where you're coming from on that. All right. Well, thank you for that, because I haven't ever had anyone on to really talk about that before. And when you you said yeah. that, it kind of perked my ears up a little bit. I was like, ooh, we got to yeah. look at it a little bit. Well, that's why David, it's why King David said, you know, that he rejoiced that his, he would, his soul would not be left in hell uh, forever. Right. Because he, too, would go through multiple probations, and he would have to atone for his own sins. Gotcha. And that's why, you know, when a murderer can't be forgiven of his own sins, in other words, somebody's not going to step in and say, I'll pay for that. No, you have to pay for that. You have to atone for your own sin for that. And David had to atone. And that's why we see in the, you know, the priests, when they go into the temple, the priest atones for his sin as well as the sin of his congregation. Well, David had to atone for his sin as well as the sin of his people you know so then what that then that begs the question here what would be the the purpose of christ's atonement if we have to atone for our own sins christ's atonement atones for the sins of those who have not willingly uh sinned if you willingly sin and you rebel then you pay for your own but for those that have sinned ignorantly the atonement covers those sorts of things okay and forgive me I, i'm i'm just thinking here what about the term infinite and eternal atonement infinite would in, would essentially be just that right forever yeah from yeah right it would cover from yeah Okay. From your from that point from forward to back. I can't say from beginning to end because there is no beginning and there is no end. Like what Joseph said, if you take a ring, you only get a beginning and end unless you cut it. Right. But okay. um Okay. How about any other teachings that, that people would find unique to the TLC? Well, it would companion along with the uh, uh, the concept of multiple moral probations, which would be the condescensions of God. In other words, that not only do his people reprobate, but so does God with them. That he himself has been in many probations. And Brigham Young testified of that. He said, Jesus has been in more probation, uh, in, what did he say? Jesus has been on, been on earth more times than you have supposed. And then when you get to the, um, you know, Abinadi, that just clenches it. Abinadi, when he testifies in Messiah chapter 15, he says, I would that you should understand that God himself would uh, come down among, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but, and he would atone for the sins of his people. 
In other words, God, who we already understand as Adam, would atone for the sins of his people. And he would be rejected and he would be crucified, which is why we see Paul referring to uh, Jesus Christ as the second Adam, which is why God said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end, the first and the last. I'm the first. You, know, you might as well say it. I'm the first. I'm the first Adam and I'm the last Adam. Okay. This is the condescensions of God. Okay. That they so, talk about in Second Nephi. Sure. Nephi. Sure. So would would and and I'm just seeing if I understand correctly here the theology that that you're you're talking about here. So is 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 it kind of the understanding that that Adam came back again as Christ? Yep. So who did, who is it then that Joseph Smith sees in the first vision? It's good questions. Well, okay. When the first personage, as it is written, pointed to the second personage and said, this is my beloved son, hear him. Who's the first person that Joseph Smith talked to? That's recorded in the, uh, uh, the first vision. Who was it that he talked to? Who went, who came to him and uh, told him for one, where the plates are, and then came and visited him a bunch of times how to make garments. Would have been Moroni, right? It was Moroni. That's right. Yeah. Okay. It would have been Mormon and Moroni. Okay. Okay. And and that's who he saw in the first vision, the very first vision he had. Right. Now the LDS church puts out that he saw Jesus and God the Father. Well, that's why I told you earlier that the um, endowment is a parallel to the first vision. Because what is Joseph doing? He's seeking for further light and for messengers from Father. And who does he send? The apostles. Okay. Does he come himself? Does 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 Adam's father himself come? No, he doesn't. He sends his messengers. He sends his servants. Okay. All right. No. All right. Anything else that would be unique? That doesn't tie into with multiple mortal probations. Uh, no. Okay. No, no, no sweat. Um, so there, there's no longer any uh, real missionary effort going on with, with the TLC. They, there's still the, the website and stuff. How many people are in the incorporated church today? Roughly. Is it still pretty healthy? No, there's probably about maybe that are members of record, uh, probably 30. Okay. All right. And does that does that all kind of happen after Jim passes that, that the number whittled down? Um, yeah, well, it had whittled down over the years, but it, you know, it whittled down quite a bit when he passed away. Gotcha. The church basically kind of went in their own directions i got you i got you Tim four well dude um is there anything that you want to cover that we didn't talk about in this i can't think of anything now we we covered a lot of ground <laughs> yeah honestly the only the 
the biggest push, the, the biggest point for an apostle is to testify of God and who he is. So mm -hmm. I think we've pretty much covered the ground there. Um, other than that, the other push is the ordinances, you know, because it's the 84th section of Doctrine and Covenants says without the ordinances, there, you know, the power of godliness is not manifest uh, to men in the flesh. And here we are, we've got the LDS church, you know, cutting down the ordinances right and left, you know, until you don't have, until you have nothing left. And we have how many of the fundamentalist churches um, actively endowing their members, you know, the FLDS people, we got girls that come over here from the FLDS church. Uh, they don't, you know, they're like, how old are they? 19, um, 20 years old. They don't have endowments. They have no prospects for getting married. Parents don't have endowments. Parents don't have endowments. They can't, you know, well, what do you know about God? They don't know anything. Right. Right. So how much, how much light is left in the world, uh, you know, even among fundamentalists or Mormons? You know, I, I think that there is a renewed emphasis on temple work. I know that there are several branches of fundamentalism now that either have temples or are in the midst of building, whether that's in the planning stages or whatnot. But yeah. I, I, I feel like there's a renewed effort being put yeah. into that. Um, yeah. Certainly with within kind of the, I, I always like to call it kind of the muster lines of, of fundamentalism. There's a renewed push. Yeah. I, I think for but so the problem is is when they're on a when they're on a false premise with their endowment or their ordinances, and if they have ordinances that are not the way Joseph gave them, then they're it's a mockery to God. So when you say when the way Joseph gave them, do you think that those ordinances kind of were um compromised under Brigham Young's leadership? No. Okay. All right. Not at all. No, because Joseph told Brigham to organize and systematize the endowment. He says, yes. we've got it as good as we can get it right now. Brigham, I want you to organize it and systematize it and make it, you know, he basically made it fairly, fairly uniform uh, at the time. Right. I, so from what, and I did a lot of research on this. I dove deep on the temple stuff because I was like, this uh, above almost everything else is so important to get right. Yeah. Um, as, as I've had the privilege of looking over a few documents from a few different places or asked, what iteration are you planning on using and hearing, hearing that come back? I feel like most of these groups have, have what has to be there in the correct yeah. order. So I I've been very encouraged as I've seen this. And so I, I don't, I, I think, I think the fact we live in the age of the internet is, is a tremendous blessing. I do. I think there's some oh, yeah. that come with it, but there, there's no more secrets. You can find exactly what was taken out and it can be reinforced yeah. with proper authority. So I, I feel really good about that. And just about uh, the, and I'm not going to name names, but there's only one or two that I can think of off the top of my head as I've talked to folks and ran into them that I would be suspect on. The rest of them, I feel like 
yeah, they, they got it. They got it down. And that's all thanks to the internet. And there are no more secrets and you can find it everywhere. Yeah. So, but yeah. Awesome. Well, man, this was great. I appreciate you coming on. Sure. And I, to be here. I, I tell everybody who's been on, once you've been on once, you got a standing invitation to come back on again. So if there's any ever any time, you know, you wanted to update on something or anything like that, give me a buzz. I'm always here. Sure. Awesome. Okay. Thanks again, Chris. You bet. Thanks. Bye, everybody.